Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Gregory S. White here back with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, all I said it was your name. <laughs> so I, I've never heard anyone say it like that before, but thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, it is great. I'm easily entertained, Scott. What can I say? Well, that's the exact audience I need uh, with all my horrible dad jokes. But hey, big show here today. Great to have you back. I know you're back in Hilton Head, which is wonderful. I can see the ambiance right in your in your uh, home studio there on the island, huh? Yes, ambiance. Yep, there it is, right there. <laughs> and soon the we're pillows. Gonna... <laughs> I'm sure people who know miss the pillows. So and soon we'll get back to uh, publishing the uh, the index. Uh, but but we've got a whole new index. That we're gonna have. I did the index today, Scott. Actually, okay. I came across one of our favorite chief supply chain officers last night, Rick okay. McDonald, and I showed him the index. And there was one ship, just one, man, waiting to get into the port at Savannah. So great job, gang. Good news. Good news. Yeah. For well, sure. they had, you know, they had that lift down and uh, elevator, whatever the heck they call it. Yeah. And uh, they got it fixed. So, and I think they've expanded a little bit as well. I agree. So the hey, the full report tonight at eleven. Uh, hey, our audience, our audience has spoken, and our repeat guests today, Greg, are back by popular demand. Now, yeah. As always, you gotta give the people what they want. And today, we're diving into key findings from a really intriguing joint research report produced by our friends at Texas Christian University and Esker. So, Greg, as you know, Dan Reeve from Esker and Dr. Morgan Swink with TCU will be joining us here momentarily to discuss key takeaways on this yeah. research that focused on managing working capital. You got to have the rocket fuel, a rocket fuel, right? If you're going to, if you're going to uh, blow up and keep, keep growing, right, Greg? You've got to have that rocket fuel and you got to have it invested in the right places. Yes. So yeah, I, I, I love having these discussions because I think, among all the other risks in supply chain, this is one that is often overlooked is how to appropriately deploy capital, right? Yes, absolutely. So stay tuned, folks. You're going to be, this is going to be some very actionable insights from Dan and Morgan momentarily. Hey, really quick, want to say hello to a few folks. We have Guy in Asheville, North Carolina with us here today. Guy, I hope this finds you well. Dave, good morning from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, DFW. Dave, great to see you again. The Metroplex. That's right. The Metroplex. I always miss that. Uh, but Dave, really appreciate all of your advocacy and facilitation behind the scenes. Alan from beautiful Canada. Alan, hope this finds you well. Yeah. And you and Greg and me, all three of us are looking forward to Morgan's and Dan's insights. So great to have you here, Alan. So Greg, we've got a lot to get into. I know we didn't hear everybody. Folks, we want to hear from you. So as we as we unpack all this research and share these insights, tell us what, what all this means to you in the comments. We'll share that throughout the hour. Greg, we ready to get to work? Let's do it. All right. With no further ado, I want to welcome in two outstanding guests here today. Repeat guests, our favorite kind. Uh, as I mentioned, Dr. Morgan Swink, the Eunice and James L. West Chaired Professor of Supply Chain Management at the Neely School of Business at Texas Christian University. Go Horn Frogs. He's, he's with us. And Dan Reeve, Vice President Sales with Esker. 
Hey, hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Good to see you as always. And Morgan, back by proper demand. How are you doing? Doing great. Good to see you guys. Yeah, you good to have as, you. You as well. Greg, we had a lot of fun with Morgan and Dan about a year ago, didn't we? Yeah, well, every time, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Although I have to tell you, Morgan, in in the green room, just saying ten thousand professors scared me. Right? <laughs> All I saw was a pile of ten thousand Fs. In <laughs> so the connected dots for our listeners, we have the best pre-show conversations. By the way, uh, uh, Morgan had visited a really big event where ten thousand professors were gathered to talk about global business and global supply chain. So we'll have to get some more details here momentarily. But before we got a lot to get to here today, Dan and Morgan, I want to I want to start with this a uh, little fun warm up question because on this day, mm-hmm. August sixteenth, back in nineteen ninety five, where were you in nineteen ninety five? Microsoft introduced the world to Internet Explorer, so it wasn't the first internet internet browser, but it was one of the most popular for a certain stretch. In fact, I was surprised to find out that in two thousand three. Internet Explorer was the most widely used web browser with some estimates saying it had a 95% usage market share. So the question that we're going to start, and I want to start with uh, with Dan here today. In those earliest of Internet days, I mentioned Prodigy in the uh, the green room. In those earliest of Internet days, what was one of the first things you remember using the Internet to do, Dan? Um. Plagiarize for my dissertation. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so just like the kids Whoops. today. <laughs> um, no, I think I think what it was is I was researching. I, I studied economic development, which was kind of a combination of geography and economics, and I was um, trying to choose what I you know focus on India or Thailand, and I I managed to find a topic, and using the internet, I managed to find some books and, and some prior research done. Um, on um, the, the cultural, sociological, and impact of, of a certain things that were happening in Thailand. Man. And I think I stumbled across the internet and discovered there's a load of books I could read and, <laughs> and you know, and all find. And a lot of the answers were already in those books. So um, I was, I, I, it was my second year of university. I was starting to panic about my, my dissertation that was required in the third year. And I think the internet came to the rescue. Uh, wore a cape and you're like, Hey, this is going to be around for a while. I appreciate you sharing that Dan Morgan, based on how we started with Dan, I'm curious to know what was the first one of the, one of the first things you remember about using the internet. Well, it's Morgan. Morgan's about to call my university. (laughs) Destroy my degree. (laughs) Actually, actually my, my answer is very similar. I, I, uh, I, I finished my uh, dissertation in 1992. uh, So I didn't have the advantage there, but uh, just a few years later, it was actually pretty quick. Uh, you know, probably around 2000, uh, all the libraries at the universities I worked at started digitizing stuff really quick. So Mm. it just made my life so much better. I remember so many hours deep in the basement of libraries, you know, looking at microfiche and make, I had to borrow money to get copy, make copies of all these papers and stuff. It was just so, it was, it was amazingly, uh, better, you know, for my quality of work life, uh, that, that innovation that came along. Oh, Morgan, you just took me back through my childhood. I remember those black <laughs> yeah. and white copies, 25 cents a piece, and the <laughs> yeah. Funkin' Wagnalls, 20-year-old encyclopedias using that for uh, papers and stuff. Greg, I can't wait to hear your answer. Uh, my very first email address, gswhite at cskauto.com. That's when I knew it was going <laughs> to stick. Because up to that point, I think that was 93 or 94, 
up to that point, only the executives got email addresses. Really? And if you wanted to email like with a vendor, I had to go to my boss who was a merchant, uh, a merchandiser at that time and use his email. And when I got my own email address, I thought this is going to stick, man. That is, uh, I, I remember the same, very similar experience there, Greg. It's like that moment from the jerk. You become somebody when you in the phone book or you get your first email address. I don't know. Great flick with Steve. Martin. I'm still getting spam at that email address. The company <laughs> doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> All right. So now that we have walked through probably a universal moment, well, a, a big moment for a lot of our audience, not all of our audience, but a lot of our audience. Um, what I want to do, we got a big topic to get to here today, and I appreciate Morgan, Danielle joining us, and especially all the research that was conducted. Before we get there, you were both with us. You know, Dan's been with us a multitude of times, uh, but you were both with us together about a year ago. And Morgan, I want to start with you. What has become one of the most critical elements impacting global supply chain kind of since? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, clearly, you know, we're still dealing with some of the residuals of COVID. So we've got inflation uh, going on, although it seems to be getting a little bit better and still some labor challenges in some sectors. Um, but the big thing that's really capturing my attention these days is what I would call deglobalization, right. all the reshoring, nearshoring, onshoring, siloing, all these things that are happening because of um, because of, of COVID. I think the heightened sensitivity to risk, uh, it's always been there. But after going through that two or three year uh, process, uh, I think supply chain managers have become a lot more sensitive to it and thinking a lot more about managing risk and resilience and all that. And then you've got rising labor costs in uh, the former low-cost countries. And then, of course, all the political stuff that's going on with trade barriers and mm. uh, national security concerns and U.S. subsidizing uh, manufacturing of chips and uh, batteries and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got the EU with their uh, carbon tax on imported uh, goods. So there's lots of forces out there um, that are kind of all aligning in the same way they're driving a lot of activity. Uh, I just heard today that uh, the U.S. came out with a new ban uh, last week on investment, American investments in Chinese chip or advanced computer developers. Mm -hmm. And uh, coincidentally, imports from China are down 25 percent, yep. uh, which is a pretty shocking number uh, just in the last few months. So this has huge implications for a lot of different you know, global network design and, and configuration. Uh, issues. And you see a lot of movement in Mexico, of course, and Canada and, and some of the other Asian opportunities, uh, Vietnam and India. But it has huge implications for working capital as well. Um, you know, it's going to change inventory uh, strategy. A lot of transit inventory is going to be freed up now if we're, if we're sourcing from lower, um, closer locations. Um, but it's huge. I think it's really huge. And it's a big a part of a, a huge deglobalization trend, you know, everywhere. Yes. Okay, folks, y'all just got a, snit, uh, a, a snippet of how great this conversation is going to be. Uh, uh, Greg, I think I just got a certification after the last three minutes of hearing from Morgan. Dan, uh, we'll get Greg away in a second, but Dan, what what, what, what say you since y'all were both with us about a year ago? Yeah, well, one, it's funny what Morgan describes. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a book right now all about the end of uh, globalization as we know it. And it talks about many of the, the topics that, um, that Morgan uh, alludes to or, or, or mentions. And um, so that seems right on point. And um, 
I think for us, what we see or what are uh, the finance leaders, the IT executives, what they share is there's still a lot of focus on uh, having cash available just in case. Borrowing costs have gone through the roof. I've had financial uh, directors, VPs tell me that the cost of borrowing can vary anywhere, anywhere from 12 to 20%, depending on the day. Um, and the, the cost of those costs have continued to go up. And for many, you know, you go back to COVID, first thing companies did is they ran out and extended their revolver. Now, since then, I think what we're seeing is that the access to cash, the, the, um, the ability to get cash, there's a bit of a, it feels like there's a bit of a credit crunch um, developing, mm. um, especially for the small businesses. I've, I've seen some commentators talk about that. So what we're seeing is folks saying, what can we can control? How do we sort of ensure that the wheel's spinning really quickly and we remove any obstacles for collecting cash and or we take advantage of opportunities to generate working capital um, from our supply chain and, and mm. how we engage with our, um, our suppliers. And I'll talk about that later. Yes. And, and, and a good point, Dan, I like it, that last uh, point you ended on. Folks, you're going to have a lot of actual insights uh, based on the data and what we're seeing practitioners and business leaders do. So stay tuned for that. Greg, after we've heard there from Morgan, uh, Morgan and Dan, I'd love to get your thoughts of uh, where we've been since last year. Yeah, well, um, on this critical element impacting supply chain, we haven't been anywhere. It's labor. It was mm. bad last mm. year. Mm. It's bad this year, if not worse. Some people will never come back to to working in supply chain. And now companies are struggling with um, trying to figure out how to get that work done, right? Yep. The dark, dirty, dangerous, and dull jobs, I don't think we'll see people coming back to a lot of those jobs. And, you know, with automation and um, artificial intelligence and other technologies like that, it is really not deployable fast enough to catch up, but I mean, they'll get there, right? They will get there. Yep. Um, but they're still struggling with which jobs can and should, and must frankly, must frankly still be done by a human being. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So great starting uh, uh, salvo there. Let's, let's get into um, the research, a little background on the research. So Morgan, uh, folks can actually download this. We've got a link. Folks can download this on their own um, and, you know, mark up their own copies, spill coffee on it, you know, dog, dog gear and all that good stuff. Take notes. But one of the cool parts that was included, and I want to start with this, this global supply chain pressure index. Let me share this graphic here. I think a lot of folks are going to get a kick out of uh, these trend lines here. So, man, how good we had it back in 1998. Now, look at this. So. Uh, I think we're feeling a little bit of pressure over the last couple of years. So, Morgan, speak to this and also speak to the exhaustive research that uh, the team behind this report put in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm glad you showed this. It, it really does illustrate kind of what we've been through. And I actually looked at it just the other day, and it's, it's actually come down a little even below that kind of middle middle line in, in recent uh, weeks. So you can see uh, this. Uh, you can go to the website and, and see what goes into it. Um, there's some... I think it's the New York uh, Economic Bureau or something that's put right. this together. Right. And they, they pull a bunch of different indexes together to, to create this composite. But yeah, we, we had extreme disruption. We've actually kind of back to normal or even below kind of normal disruption levels, according to those indexes. But people are still 
recoiling from it. I, it's like I was saying earlier, I think the sensitivity has just gotten so raised because we've gone through that situation mm. that it's still driving a lot of decisions and a lot of behavior mm -hmm. of the supply chain executives out there. Yep. So that's one part of, we've been tracking kind of these global indexes that might have implications for working capital. Um, but the gist of the survey of the research was a survey that we did last year. Uh, we got about 150 supply chain executives to fill out a short survey that asked about you know what business challenges they were most worried about and what types of working capital process improvement plans they had in place and what uh, what benefits they were seeing from implementing some of those changes. Yep. Um, so there's kind of the macro perspective. We've we've also been looking at. Uh, I have access to all the financials for publicly held companies. You know, in the U.S., we've been tracking cash and inventory and AP and AR. Uh, over time just to see what the general trends are there. So we're, we've kind of got the micro piece in terms of the survey and then the macro data uh, from the economy at large. Yep. Um, we've got another little piece to it that I'll talk about in a minute uh, if we have time as well. Okay, excellent. So, um, you know, Greg, we talk about this a lot, right? Uh, and in fact, this conversation here today kind of follows a tried and true approach we take. We, You know, Morgan's bringing all these data points and these indices into a, a really actionable report and then mirroring that with Dan's perspective as a you know practitioner out in the markets helping businesses navigate through these landscapes and and succeed Greg your quick thoughts before we move on well I mean uh, clearly there's you know there was a, a great uptick in in pressure mm. um, when when COVID hit right because we basically shut down the world's economy for a short period of time mm. and had to restart it from scratch essentially um, but I think that, you know, that's had, that is, I think we would call that in uh, statistics gathering, Morgan, I think we would call that an outlier, but that doesn't mean that, that the ripple effects of that haven't continued to reverberate through business and they have for years, right? We are three years hence uh, the start of COVID. So um, it's, it's been a substantial impact and I, I'm not sure that we will see stability we obviously are starting to see pressure come down and i think the latest report is is actually pretty encouraging but we we won't see stability because of a lot of the initiatives and some of these challenges that we just talked about things like reshoring right and, and um companies going back to the office or not going back to the office or having a great argument about going back to the office right the structure of organizations the labor situation all of those things impact that that pressure yep and then you add all of the impacts that 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 can have on working capital and and working capital on on uh addressing those factors uh wow i just i just made my i just made myself reclaimed you guys need to discuss <laughs> um the industrial revolution was neither industrial nor a revolution <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I love that throwback to SNL, the, the glory days of SNL. All right. So uh, thank you, uh, Morgan, for setting the table, you know, yeah. so folks know a little bit more about the research. And again, folks, y'all can download it uh, on your end uh, and we'll make sure we drop the link in the chat as well. But um, all right. So Morgan, I want to go here as we start to get pulled some of the key takeaways from you, you and Dan both. I want to start with what tactics are organizations currently using or planning to use Morgan to improve working capital. Yeah. So as we, as we mentioned, uh, cash has come up already and the cost of capital, uh, Dan talked about that. So we mm. saw this huge buffering, uh, 
strategy, I guess, both cash and inventory uh, through the pandemic. And, and it kind of lagged beyond the pandemic. Mm. Uh, some of those numbers are coming down now. Uh, I think for the reasons that have been mentioned, pe people are starting to feel like things are a little more stable. Uh, and then, as Dan pointed out, the cost of capital is 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 gone up with inflation and interest rates and all that. So uh, it's becoming much more experience uh, expensive to to chase that buffering strategy to hold all that excess cash and inventory just in case. So um, so things are coming down. In in terms of the the survey, uh, the things we asked about in terms of tactics, the man managers number one thing they said was, well, they're doing a lot of training. Um, of folks who are working in these processes, procure to pay and uh, order management, inventory management processes to try to eliminate waste, but also errors, mainly trying to cut out errors. So a lot of process analysis, a lot of process improvement efforts there, um, even dedicating more personnel to some of these processes to try to improve them. Right. Uh, and there's pretty, been a, I think COVID put a little bit of a hiatus on this, but there's before and after it's picking up again now. Um, investments in basically what I would call foundational systems, mm -hmm. order management systems, inventory management systems, secure to pay systems that that automate a lot of the transactions and and offer the opportunity to get rid of a lot of the uh, like manual data entry, manual uh, translations that have to happen because that's where errors happen a lot. So that's that's kind of been the past and, and current. There is a, a, a rising trend. Some of the we asked the, the folks in the survey, well, what are you doing now and what are you planning on doing in the future? Okay. And the largest responses in terms of future was and you can probably guess this. It's, it's even more investment in automation, uh, but automating not just the transaction part, but the data capture part, data mm -hmm. capture, data processing, data cleaning. And then that in turn gives you the ability to build in these analytics uh, tools. So a lot more investment in analytics some AI applications, dashboards, all kinds of ways to identify and um, address exceptions in whether it's an AP or AR or, right. or inventory uh, outliers, you know, uh, exceptions, anomalies, track performance uh, and improve and drill down on things a little bit more through that greater insight. So that's mm. where the real investment's happening now, I think. Excellent, Morgan. And then I'll come bring you in here uh, to respond and, and share what else you see. But I like your touch on uh, data capture and data cleaning because we got to, you know, Greg, we've talked about this before. Not data lakes, data swamps is where a lot of our data is residing. We got to get it up out of those swamps, clean it up so that we can use it and use it effectively uh, and more easily. Uh, but Dan, before we bring Greg back in, Dan, speak to uh, some of the tactics organizations are currently using or looking to use. Uh, I will. I'm just going to mention a book that for the supply chain leaders, I think will find quite useful, interesting. Peter Zihan wrote a book called The End of the World is Just the Beginning, Mapping the Collapse of Globalization. Mm. Um, so he's a social scientist. And what's really interesting is he says, look, the big picture is uh, the U.S. is sort of becoming more um, uh, inward inward thinking. You know, the, the world has been able to flourish on, since the Bretton Woods Agreement, and the US had a huge navy that protected the world and, and that enabled free trade. And he's like, that's going to decline a little bit, and you're going to see globalization go down. And a big part he talks about is actually labor. Mm. He talks about the fact that for many West or for most Western economies, that the labor pool and the available um, you know the birth rates have been going down okay so i, I better get off my soapbox you know and, and come back to what i really do in, in the world 
that I think what it, what they're getting at is that that means the, the labor available to do the work, and especially labor available to do the type of work that Greg described, which is more um, mundane, boring, doesn't really make a difference. People aren't going to want to do that, and the amount of folks available to do that work is going down. And new folks coming into the workforce both aren't available and will not do that work. So what, what we're seeing folks say is, I do want to take advantage of technology. I do want to uh, clean up data so I can have better insights to go and say, right, I could um, improve my relations with these customers. I could reduce my risk because I have better ability to see which customers are struggling, which mm. what trends mean certain customers may well need to be, we may, may, may need even reduce their credit or give them more credit but folks want that sort of information proactively so they can protect their business and also i think when it comes to dealing with suppliers folks want to one minimize any risk on their business okay now they're a bad actor there's a lot of fraud increasing and typically fraud does increase during periods of uncertainty and economic depression so companies are looking to make sure not only are they improving working capital because it's so expensive and hard to get but they don't want to lose any through you know getting suckered into um paying um the, the fraudsters and heck I, I had a one of those emails from my chairman just this week dan can you quickly rush this payment through right um, he's never, <laughs> no <laughs> you know so i i think companies are under um pressure because hard to get the staff folks want to do the type of work that really makes a difference for the customer and the supplier right um and they've also got to make sure that whatever they do when they bring on new suppliers morgan you I think you talked about this in the past you know during a pandemic companies often had to could no longer sole source they had to have multiple options but okay well now you need to have cash available mm. to, so you can pay that supplier on time or you okay well maybe that supplier will work with you but you're not going to the front of the queue you might be at the back right i think those pressures haven't necessarily fallen off and if anything the pressure increased because of inflation and the cost of, of, of accessing that money. And many of those I talked about revolvers, they were variable. So in a very short period of time, in a year or six months, they went, you know, they, they jumped from six, seven, eight percent to suddenly the cost of borrowing and funding a project could have gone to 12 or 20, which is huge. Right. So um, what we see is companies for, generally saying, okay, I've got to look at technology to free my people up. I've got to keep the people I have. I've got to invest in those folks or we're at risk. So uh, I want to pick one thing out that Dan touched on, Greg, before I get your commentary, because talking about costs going up, I saw research published by IBM um, uh, a week or two ago. The average cyber data breach here in 2023, the average cost to a business is almost $5 million. How many small and, and mid-market companies can have a $5 million um, um, incident like that. Goodness gracious. But Greg, weigh in on what Morgan and Dan were talking about in terms of some of, some of the current tactics or future tactics. Well, I mean, it's, it is, we are definitely, we asked Matt, uh, who didn't join us, we asked him to predict the economy because he's really a font of knowledge. And um, the reason for that was because I think, it's, and we're seeing it We've seen it all week in the stock market companies mm. changing their projections downward target and Home Depot just in the last two days moved their projections downward. Customer sentiment is is trending or isn't trending, but it has tilted sort of downward. People are going to finally have to pay off their student loans. Right. And credit card debt hit yet another over one trillion dollar record in mm. the last week. So um, 
so there's all these indicators that there is risk and instability on the four. Actually, we've been in a period of risk and instability for for a good long while now, right? right? And we've seen the proliferation of a lot of the of the dangers, the the uh, malactors, whatever you want to call them, in in the space. And I think that is one of the biggest issues. We've been we've had, people have attempted to hit us, right? And more recently than in the past, right? Um, so it's, I mean, it's at every level of business. So th these kind of things that allow you to manage your, um, your capital much, much more efficiently and without the intervention of human, I, as you were talking about that, Dan, I was thinking the one thing AI or technology doesn't have that we have is this sense of urgency based on somebody pressuring them. In fact, uh, you know, the thought is going through my head that a technology could see that, Hey, they're asking to be paid you know, in 30% of the time of our average, because they've analyzed all the data that Dan's been talking about and gone, th this should have a red flag on it right mm. here. Right. Mm. And maybe pull back instead of push Dan to pay faster. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, speaking of, uh, Greg mentioned, we we're getting hit a lot, all the bad actors out there, Morgan, watch out. I saw research the other day and we all know supply chains getting hit, but in particular in the U S the healthcare industry and higher learning industries mm. are two of the biggest targets. So Morgan, look over your shoulder every so often that they're folks they're coming out to get you. Um, all right. So let's switch gears here. Uh, Morgan, I want to talk about what outcomes companies are expecting and experiencing after improving, you know, being able to, once they are successfully able to, to move the needle and improve working capital processes, what outcomes are they expecting Morgan? Mm -hmm. So this is one of the questions we asked in the survey, uh, and number one was cost, uh, as you might expect, but they were uh, identifying ways to improve costs through greater efficiencies, but uh, mainly labor, uh, to, to, to cut labor, to save labor, to redeploy labor in, in different mm -hmm. ways um, through some of this automation. Um, I mentioned error reduction or accuracy, uh, less manual input, so those kind of benefits. Interestingly, though, the third the third most cited uh, improvement or benefit was staff retention and job satisfaction. So mm. while at the same time that they're they're getting rid of some uh, manual processes, I think they're able to upgrade. Companies are seeing that they're able to upgrade some of the other activities or tasks uh, and kind of move them from from what was purely a clerical uh, you know data entry, you know payment processing kind of activity to more of an analytical. Uh, activity and and that increased uh, job satisfaction because people, and then this is speculation on my part, but I and maybe Dan can speak to this. But I think the folks who are working in these processes now feel like, you know, there's, there's a lot more mind work going into it, and they're actually contributing to the bottom line in in clear ways by identifying these fraudulent cases or other opportunities to to save money or to make money, as opposed to just you know crunching crunching through. Uh, data or filling out forms or whatever their jobs were. So yeah. that's an important one. And then the fourth one was the, uh, also, I think Dan kind of uh, alluded to this, the customer supplier experience. Uh, that was the fourth most cited. About 50% of the respondents said, yeah, we see a, an ability to satisfy our customers quicker or more in a more tailored way and to deal with and treat our suppliers like partners um, in ways, you know, based on being able to point up the amount of business that we're doing, the, the current payment terms, those kinds of terms uh, oriented negotiations can be supported with a lot of the data that comes out of these 
more automated analytics based systems. Um, one more thing I'll add in, and this is the study I, I mentioned a minute ago. So we're actually doing a new study now okay. that looks at adopters of AR and AP automation tools. So we're able to find out companies who have invested in these kinds of tools uh, over the last decade, actually, but we're really focusing on the last five years. And we're seeing, and we're looking at their financials, and we're able to show a statistically <laughs> significant uh, increase in liquidity for some of these com companies. So, so on the average, companies that are adopting these types of tools are seeing about a 12 to 15 percent increase in liquidity. That's we're drilling into that a little bit more now to find out was that because they're able to hold less cash or less inventory or or they, uh, you know, getting their AR, their receivables paid fast. What, what is the impact on that? Uh, we haven't quite drilled down that far, but there's there's pretty good evidence here that there's a payback on these investments. Morgan, that's a truckload of good news, and we look forward to you continue to, to drill in some of those areas, and we'll, we'll have you back and talk to mm -hmm. more of the specifics. I want to change up here. So, Greg, as he was talking about uh, uh, your team members and retention and, and really making their jobs a lot better, that got your attention. So before we get Dan to weigh in, Greg, speak to that for a second. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just imagine the jobs that are getting and will continue to be automated are the jobs that most people feel very unsatisfied doing anyway. I was just thinking there is plenty of data around that, Morgan. I know that's not your area to study, but it, but it, there is plenty of data around that. So your in, intuition there is is dead on. Mm. Um, you know, people want the the that that I guess would be considered a dull job of the four Ds, right? Mm. Is if you're just supposed to enter invoice data, honestly. Uh, in 1993 or whatever, when I got my first my first email address, we stopped entering data from our suppliers. Mm. Think about that. I mean, some companies have not been entering data for is that 30, 30 years? 30 years. Let, let, let me use my calculator. Let me use my Excel yeah. spreadsheet. That's that's more than two decades. I'm never supposed to confess more than two decades. It's too late for that, isn't it? <laughs> um, but you know, there, there are opportunities to do that and there are ways to, to do it. And it's getting ever easier with the advent of, of all of these inner enterprise communication devices, APIs, blah, 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 you know, insert, yeah. insert acronym here. Um, but I think that does allow people to elevate themselves to those higher jobs, just like other automation. I mean, the jobs that people don't want to do in a warehouse, those, those people will be doing a more analytical or, um, you know, creative thinking um, or critical thinking mm. type role because it takes a tremendous amount of data for a machine to do those roles. Whereas humans, however we do it, um, you know, we're pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, or at least we can talk it out with amongst ourselves to solve some of these problems. So those are much more satisfying jobs to do for almost everyone, right? Well said. Yes. Um, and I, I think that that is the benefit of, of, um, to, to the teammates, but also to the company, because the things that we're not good at are the things we've been doing for a lot of years, turning a wrench or a screw to a particular torque setting, right? Which machines can do much better. We don't get injured if machines do it. We can go do something else if machines do it, right? Let's, mm -hmm. Same with, with accounting and payables and receivables and things like that. Well said. There's certainly a better way. And speaking of, uh, Dan, I'll get you to come in here. Uh, and, and you were asking Morgan about the outcomes companies and business leaders are expecting. Speak to that, uh, Dan. Oh, well, um, 
I just got to add on something Greg said. Like, I think if you look at Gart- what Gartner has been saying, you know, like the likes of Gartner, um, the likes of Ardent Partners, which is a think tank, think tank in the procure to pay space. Gartner has been saying for years, the way you really take care of customers is how quickly you, you can you position your customer service teams to quickly deal with problems and use their EQ and their, and their, um, their human skills. And then Ardent Partners has said, the last couple of years, they were saying what the, the procure to pay procurement and AP departments need to become more customer centric. Mm-hmm. They need to grow in their ability to identify problems, um, launch launch little initiatives, use of technology, and to serve, see themselves as customer service departments that reduce friction and uh, improve the working relationship um, with the procurement folks. When you free people up to do all that sort of work, we see this regularly, is that, yes, then staff are more likely to both stay and also grow within the organization. And you don't lose all that experience and that, that, that you know, a piece of your culture when somebody leaves the door. I think leaders are, are paying particular focus on that. And I think when it comes to ROI, increasingly, I encourage and I see leaders saying, okay, yes, are we going to re- reduce a position what is the outcome from this? Mm. And part of the outcome statement may be, how does this sort of lead to career development and people being retained within the organization? I'll give you an example. I should okay. I, I should now answer your first question, which was <laughs> outcomes. You know, I was talking to a VP of finance and treasury in Florida, Southern okay. Florida recently. And I said, you know, here's a gentleman, they're forward thinking, they've, they've automated their payables process. Uh, they're automating their cash application, their collections process. They're thinking about automating order management next. So they've got, they, they see it all joined up. And they're, they're you know, they're dealing with some challenges in financing. And you, know, you can't just go out to one bank. They've had to go out to three, four, five different banks. And one of the areas that's, of in, two areas of interest are, um, you know, supply chain financing and also um, getting extra rebates by paying vendors early. Right, and I said, you know, what's your experience here? How do you feel about this? And it was really interesting. The the the, the leader there said, well, Dan, twelve years ago I did this. Oh yeah, what, what came of that then? He said, well, twelve years ago, I achieved with, with my team at a different company. We we moved payments to be made electronically, mm. so we, we got away from check, which has the fraud risk. We began to pay the suppliers faster, which they appreciated, um, and. You know that that in turn reduces their their cost of borrowing, and using virtual card, for example, he said, you know, we were getting a seven hundred and fifty eight hundred thousand dollar rebate every year, so not only did we turn AP into a profit center, we turned finance into a profit center. Man, you know, so that's the sort of thing that allows you to pay for pay for a department and probably fund some fund further initiatives and and, and transformations that people want to be a part of. And stay at that organization, right? Or go to that's Vegas. 12, that's twelve years ago, you know. So the reality <laughs> right. is, these, these opportunities have been there. And twelve years ago, we didn't have the borrowing costs that we have now. So there's, you know, so much more opportunity given that extra pressure. Pressure, I think. Mm. Yep. Uh, Greg, your quick comment: that dog will hunt. That Dan is 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 describing because that's actually that's not uh, he's not making that story up. This this is what's happening today, or in this case, twelve years ago. So the impact's even greater. Greg, your th- quick thoughts? Yes, more of that. I mean, it's true. It has been around, and look, especially over the last twelve years, we've been really sloppy and lazy because money was free. 
So mm. now that as Dan identified, that pressure is much, much greater. Um, it will lead to greater efficiency in organizations in uh, at every angle, but it's, but especially here because the, the technology has matured so dramatically in the last 12 years that it's not only uh, effective, as effective as at least as it was 12 years ago and probably more so, but it's much, much easier to implement these days as well. So more companies will do it. They'll capture more of that, of that opportunity and benefit. I, I mean, it's undoubtedly it's time. time. Rick, I love that. And that's such a great call out about how we've been spoiled with, with access to cash. I, and I know you've, you've written about that before and helped a lot of folks open up some eyes. Hey, really quick. I want to take a couple quick comments. One of our faves is here. See him. She says the nineties wants its manual input back. I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, let's see here. Masab. I think we're kind of speaking to some examples and of course we'll see if we can't work more of uh, in terms of how AI yeah. continues to impact supply chain. And then Harry says, Harry, great to see you. Managing risk is a process. Have you taken the time to understand your inherent risk, strength of your controls and residual risk? Most companies have not. Great point. So that's a man who makes his living reduce, reduce reducing risk for companies when he's not fishing <laughs> and bragging endlessly about it. <laughs> so, all right, moving right along, Morgan, Dan, and Greg, where are we going next? Let's see here. So we're going to go back to the future a bit. Uh, and by the way, I can't say back to the future without thinking about Michael J. Fox. There's a great documentary out on the streaming uh, services about his career. So y'all check that out. But for this conversation, and Morgan, I'm bringing it back to you, what future macro-level challenges are businesses most concerned about having to overcome? Your thoughts, Morgan? Hmm. Well, back to macro. Um, let, let me just say one thing real quick, though. I don't know if I mentioned this before you know, Before we close off that last part. The, okay. I don't know if I mentioned this other project. We just published a paper earlier this year that looked at AP and, and the effect of AP policy uh, uh, accounts payable policy on supplier relationships, basically. And that's really where I come at this whole thing from. I'm not a finance guy, I'm a supply chain guy, you know, mm. but how managing uh, working capital can affect your relationships. And we found conclusively that companies that, that treat their uh, suppliers better in terms of paying faster, reap benefits in terms of, of co-development processes, innovation, um, just all kinds of collaborative benefits from that. So I, I just want to reiterate that point. There's a great opportunity that I don't think uh, a lot of folks are, are necessarily aware of or attuned to. So, so back to the big picture. Um, well, you know, deglobalization has kind of been the other trend that we've talked about here. And by the way, I love that Zaitan book too. It's uh, it's very it's provocative. Uh, I'm not sure I believe all of it, but it's a very provocative book. <laughs> does it, uh, Morgan, really quick, does it have the Dr. Morgan Swink official seal of approval, that book? Uh, I haven't been paid anything to do that. So I, I guess <laughs> okay. I won't, I will hold that. He just said he doesn't believe all of it too. So now I really have to read it. Yeah. Can we have yeah. a Morgan Swink edited version? I don't believe this. I would love to see that. Seriously. Uh, it's a long book and it's good. He it's makes a, long a lot book. of, a lot of yeah. bold claims, but, uh, yeah. but most of it's actually pretty, pretty believable. And, and the good news is from his perspective, the U S is actually in pretty relatively mm -hmm. speaking, pretty good shape. Oh. Because we're energy independent and we're and we have our labor's not as bad as others and we're food independent as well. Anyway, uh, but this whole this whole deglobalization trend, I think, is is something that supply chain managers have to continue continue to to grapple with. Uh, it's an opportunity as well as a as a, a challenge. Um, 
but who can predict what the political climate is going to be like five years from now? You know, the coming election is going to could possibly change directions, you know, one way or the other on that. So that's that's difficult to predict. But I think it's something as Greg, I think you said we can't make changes to these structures overnight. This is three to five to 10 years. It take mm -hmm. a long time to build these global supply chains and to un unwind them or reconfigure them is not something we can do quickly. It's not like you can just say, well, okay, I'm going to start buying in Mexico instead of China. What about all the suppliers of the supplier you're buying from? You know, they have to change uh, as well. So there's a, a lot of activity there that I think um, most smart supply chain executives are thinking about. Uh, and, and more generally, how can we build these networks that are resilient, not just to the immediate short-term disruptions that we can envision now that we've gone through COVID, but to the longer term shifts and business cycles, uh, can we build supply chains that may not be as quote cost efficient in the short run as they have been, but have this longer term resilience property that you know everybody's uh, seeing as necessary today. Mm. A lot of good stuff. We need a, another hour just based on Morgan's last response there. Dan, uh, going back to the question and get your take here, what future macro level challenges are business leaders most concerned about having to overcome? Uh, two I'll go with. One is maybe three. Obviously, labor we've talked about, I think, the just in case. And in the past, if you had your finance op and, and procurement operation was like a Formula One car flying around the racetrack, that was fine. But now we've got a racetrack that's full of pit holes. And also you've got to go off the racetrack because it could be um, disruptions and you've got to drive through the field. So now I think what folks need is is cash just in case. And they need they need flexibility within the business processes uh, to, to adjust. Finally, I'll mention, um, you know, we're talking about deglobalization, which could well mean you you have... You know, you're buying from from suppliers in Latin America. Perhaps we're going to, you know, you'll see production move to Latin America near shore, um, as an example. And we know that population decline or um, changing population pyramids is is has been one of the drivers, not the only driver. You know, the, the need to eliminate fraud um, and compliance has led to more pre-approvals around if you're going to pay somebody or receive payment. Incre increasingly, government entities or systems exist, both especially Latin America, mm -hmm. Mexico with the SATs and other countries. You see it now, uh, France, Spain, where increasingly, if you're going to do business, you have to sort of make sure that you are compliant so that and you register those, those payments and those transactions. So I, I believe that what we're seeing is that as, as companies begin to create shared services, business units, and operations in these other countries, there's going to be additional systems that you'll have to adhere to. You know, you have to send the invoice in a particular format. Right. You have to upload it in a particular format. You have to provide reporting on a weekly or monthly basis. France. France is, you know, has, has a huge um, initiative um, with their, their new platform. Mm. So this is going to both make it more complicated for businesses increase the pressure to make sure they're compliant. Um, and you're going to need smart people on your team to help you navigate through that. That's right. Uh, all right. So Dan shared a lot there, Greg, I'm coming to you now. I want to get you to comment here, but you know, Dan mentioned that compliance is cool again, right? He also going back to his first point there. Uh, he was talking about 
racing around the racetrack in your nice Ferrari at the speed of a thousand gazelles. We've got a lot of traction out of that, but Greg, Greg, Greg. He's, he's, talking- a quick, he's a quick learner, Scott. I love it. You know, he picks <laughs> up on these terms. It's good. I try. I try. Yeah. Hey, but Greg, weigh in between what Morgan and Dan both shared there in terms of what business leaders are really worried about having to overcome as we, as you know, we look ahead, your quick thoughts, Greg. Well, I love the analogy of formula one. Um, so imagine a formula one car with Mickey Thompson, 33s on it, right. With a little bit of a lift kit to get it through the field when it has to go off field with paddles on uh, able to be deployed from the tires when the, when, when the, when, yeah, when it, when the track gets flooded in certain sections and also Dan, the track is also constantly shifting. Right. Right. You can't go this way this time. You have to go that way this time. And Mm. so there is a lot of, of, it's a great analogy, man. That would make a great speed racer cartoon. Um, uh, But uh, look, sorry, back to the topic. Uh, There's so, so many changes coming and they are irrefutable and undeniable. Compliance is one of them, right? There are, there's ESG regulations. There's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there that include not just environmental, but now human rights in the States. We mostly focus on or ignore, mostly ignore um, environmental impacts in Europe. It's now mandatory that you prove you are not using slave labor in your supply chain, as well as um, that the stuff was rationally sourced. As I've talked to, to supply chain leaders, they're also concerned about the provenance, my favorite word, the provenance yes. of their goods, because as we've talked about, as the economy begins to do whatever it's going to do, and it's already a problem in a lot of cases anyway, there will be fakes, right? Yes. So you have to make sure that that the provenance remains um, solid. And of course, all of the other risks in supply chain that, that impact cost and speed and reliability as well. So um, yeah, I mean, there are a ton of... of challenges that are impacting us that, um, you know, you want to eliminate the complexity of the things you can control and leave, leave as, as few outliers as possible for those things that you, that you cannot control. Right. Shakespearean, Greg, very well yeah. said. Um, well, and there will, does Shakespeare <laughs> say a lot? I don't know. Maybe, yeah. uh, uh, but, there will be fakes and there will be many, many more fakes. That's a great point there. And also Greg and Dan both spoke a lot about speed, baked speed into their answers. Folks, when you download this report, you know, managing working capital, returning to a strategic end in approach. One of the key call to actions and recommendations is go for speed. As a report points out, quote, velocity makes processes more resilient, drives down overhead and can improve relationships with partners End quote. And Dan touched on that in an earlier answer. So folks, Make sure you download the report and check out the other calls to action. Calls to action, call to actions. Who knows? Uh, all right. So let's. Uh, Good job. Let. Thank you very much. I try. With well, English language is my uh, is my bad actor. It always torments me. Um, okay. So Dan, uh, we're gonna get a moment of clarity here. I want to make sure folks understand, uh, in a nutshell, what Esker does. And you know, you've been with us a lot, but for the for our new listing audience, what does Esker do in a nutshell, Dan? I think when finance leaders, supply chain leaders, IT leaders engage with ESCA, you know, increasingly they're saying, I want to make sure that we're taking advantage of technology, chat GPT, cognitive AI. We don't want to miss the bus. But what we're really trying to do is ensure that we reduce friction between our how we engage with our customers, our partners, and our suppliers. And that means freeing up customer service staff to be rock stars, 
folks in payables, procurement to be rock stars, to make it easy to bring on suppliers, do your due diligence, to make it easy to um, collect payment from customers, identify any problems or short pays or unfair yeah. deductions. So it's all, it's sort of technology to reduce friction and improve working capital effectively. Mm. Well said. I tell you, all the referencing to the pressure, all the pressures out there. We should have had Greg, David Bowie, and the Queen video queued up uh, to play in the background throughout uh, throughout the, the show here today. But um, Dan, uh, in a, uh, how can folks connect with you? What's the easiest way to sit down and grab a cup of coffee or something perhaps a little bit stronger with Dan Reeve? Uh, probably easiest way is email me, daniel.reevedesca.com or find me on LinkedIn. Outstanding. At Esco. You can find me through the Esco website. Not only is that easy, but I love how a lot of what you described, what Esco does is making life easier for your teams and your business, the folks that are under tremendous, tremendous pressure. Good stuff there. Um, all right. So, Morgan, really have enjoyed your, once again, uh, your uh, uh, perspectives here today. How can folks connect with you and all the cool things you are doing at TCU? Thanks. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure to be with you guys again uh, today. So again, email m.swink at tcu.edu is pretty easy, I think. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, and I want to encourage you also, if uh, I, I head up a center here at TCU called the Center for Supply Chain Innovation. It's all about collaborating with industry partners and supporting uh, recruiting of our students, that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that at all, check us out. Just go to neely.tcu.edu that's uh, neely school of business uh, and then look for centers and you'll see the center for supply chain innovation you can learn more about us and uh, i'd love to talk to you if you're interested in, in uh, thank you morgan really appreciate that and i really appreciate what all that you do for our current and and really what we call the now generation the folks that are entering industry are already making that impact so really appreciate what but really all three of y'all do in that regard hey really quick we're gonna get greg's key takeaway in just a moment but I want to make sure, folks, you all have the opportunity. This is a free resource uh, that will give you even more insights into what Morgan and Dan and Greg have all touched on here today. Again, that's this research report, Managing Working Capital, Returning to a Strategic End-to-End -end Approach. Speaking of making it easy, we've made it really easy because we've put the link in the chat. You want to click away from downloading. And, hey, let us know. when you when you, Those that do that, let us know what you think. Give us your take uh, on that research. Um Greg, we're going to get your key takeaway in just a minute, but I want to thank, I want to thank, we've had, I mean, Greg, this is what we're after, to pull Morgan in, all the research and data and his, and that immense network, and then Dan and, of course, the extra team out there making it happen, getting those practitioner insights. Greg, yep. this is what we're after. This is this is valuable, must-see TV or whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Greg, your quick comment. TV, yeah. <laughs> must-see YouTube. We got to change that term since TV is about to go away. Don't we? You saw that report as well. This is the first time in history right now that, um, put it simply, streaming more more folks are watching streaming than traditional TV. How about that? Interesting. Does that, time. Does that explain my wife, why my wife removed the TV from the front room? She never said anything. I just noticed it's gone. <laughs> Where'd it go? Is anything else missing, Dan? Is anything else missing? <laughs> <laughs> don't get started. That's the key. Hey, hey I, I, I'm just happy I get the opportunity to live there. You know, I just make sure I'm. <laughs> hey, well, wife, she, hopefully, oh, hopefully my wife doesn't see this. You know. <laughs> I wonder uh, what she, what did she put in that spot? 
nothing. My wife's very minimalist, you know. But yeah. it's, it's, you know how it is. When I walk through the kitchen, I've got to make sure I, I, I you know, I, I've got to remember it's not my kitchen. It's my wife's kitchen. And she does a great job and, you know, and I just mess things up. So I have to accept this, you know. Well, Dan, I appreciate that. And for yeah. your sake, because we got your back, uh, we're going to thank yeah. you both. And then we're going to get Greg to talk about y'all as if you are not with us here today. Hey, big thanks uh, to Mo Dr. Morgan Swink, uh, again, with Texas Christian University, the Eunice, yeah. uh, Eunice and James L. West, Chaired Professor of Supply Chain Management at the Neely School of Business at TCU, which Morgan mentioned. Morgan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Been yep. a pleasure. And we Thanks, will see Morgan. you again soon. And of course, your dynamic duo there, your uh, colleague, uh, Dan Reeve. I almost put you a do as a doctor, uh, Dan. I almost added a doctor there. Dan Reeve, Vice President Sales oh. with Esker, one of our faves. Dan, look forward to having you back soon. Yeah, guys, more, uh, gents, Morgan, great to do it, and uh, thanks very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, we'll see y'all both soon, Morgan and Dan. Bye-bye. All right, Greg. I think uh, I think we 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 stopped Dan from going any further because we we like Dan without broken legs, right? From his <laughs> wife, yeah, right. That's right. All right. So Greg, we covered a ton of ground yeah. here today, uh, and I mean this is this is really these are the kind of conversations that I leave with, and my mind just ruminates on some of the uh, uh, factoids and research points that both Dan and Morgan shared. So Greg. Uh, your favorite part that folks have to take away, perhaps, from this conversation here today. Oh, Greg, hang on, hang on. Doug, thank you for the comment. He says, appreciate y'all hosting an informative conversation today. Doug, hey, kindred spirits. I definitely, uh, I tell you, Morgan and Dan, they need to take it on the road and have a have a Taylor Swift roadshow, don't they, Greg? No, because... <laughs> <laughs> this is enough. All right. So, Greg. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then we get to do it with them. Uh, that's uh, right. So, so your favorite part here today? Uh, no. Of course, they can take it on the road. <laughs> We've just copyrighted everything here. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, well, I, I got to tell you, the inner enterprise nature of what we discussed, mm. The um, there was one particular element that stuck that, that struck me. Uh, obviously, everything Morgan shares with us always is so incredibly valuable. And I think gives us a tremendous perspective of where companies stand and where they can go and even how they can approach that future. So whether the future is stability or instability, um, it never hurts to have great relationships with your suppliers. And the best time, as we learned um, when COVID kicked off, to build great relationships with your, with your suppliers, with your trading partners of any kind, really, is before a crisis hits. Right. I couldn't help but think of the discussion that we heard Somebody said uh, in one of our comments show, commentary shows after COVID started, when Dan was talking about that, is be, you know, being kind to your suppliers and being fair with your suppliers actually accrues to the benefit of your own company, not just from a relationship standpoint, but but also from a bottom line standpoint. And I thought, you know, whether we're whether the economy or whatever is going into instability or or gets more stable, now is the time to create strong relationships with your suppliers because as a friend of ours said Scott when what is it when crisis hits it's too late to make friends that's right right and um, if you have not been fair or particularly um, good to your to your trading partners the time that you need them uh, is not the time to start doing asking for favors while at saying yeah we'll treat you better next time that's right, right? 
so I think there's a lot of, of that. Uh, but regardless of whether it's that sort of thing that you're tackling, understanding the inner enterprise benefits to your trading partners, because Morgan also talked about this, that it is uh, affirmatively impactful to your trading partners when when you manage. I mean, and of course, in this case, we're talking about working capital, right. which is a great term, working capital, because what are we all working for? Not for glory. <laughs> Money. No? So, <laughs> you know, making making someone's job easier or making your interactions with them easier, that's a yep. great benefit. But none of it matters if you don't exchange funds, mm. right? These are not charities, people. They are businesses. So, so making it easier to exchange funds and making your ability to be a better trading partner is the one thing that you should take away from this discussion around better working capital management. Well said, Greg. I would just add quick, two quick points. Uh, you know, Dan, as we've talked about, he and the Escort team have been with us on a variety of shows. Uh, he has been evangelizing, making things easier and taking care of your suppliers for years. This is not, mm -hmm. uh, this is what he and the team are all about. Uh, so y'all connect with Dan and the Esker team, download this report. And then secondly, uh, more broadly, going to your point, Greg, uh, in the words of a in, uh, iconic traveling band of industry analysts, uh, Van Halen, when is the time to invest in your supplier relations? Right now. Right now. There's no better time. Oh, great time. It is. Um, okay. So on behalf of everybody, I know we couldn't get everybody's comments and questions in. I really appreciate all the audience uh, joining us. Uh, big thanks, of course, to everyone behind the scenes. Hey, big thanks, Matt, Catherine, Amanda, whole, the whole team helping with uh, production and facilitation. Big thanks to our guests, Dan and Morgan. Greg, always a pleasure to knock these out with you and whatever you do, folks. Whatever you do, there's lots of actionable insights on what was shared over the last hour. But now the onus passes from us to you to take action. Do something about it. Deeds, not words. Take something we're sharing here today, put it in action. Help take that pressure off your teams and your suppliers, your customers, you name it. But whatever you do, Scott Luton challenging you, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.